Y Group invites all AEC industry leaders to the 2024 AEC Small Business and Entrepreneurship Forum, the premier event for small firms in the AEC sector. Experience innovative strategies and insights on May 21st, crafted by Zweig Group's industry experts. Engage in keynotes and interactive sessions focused on recruitment, retention, and business growth. Join Zweig Group for this unique networking opportunity and take your business to new heights. Secure your spot today and be part of the AEC industry's future. Visit ZweigGroup.com for more information. The Zweig Group team looks forward to welcoming you. Welcome to a special edition of the Zweig Letter Podcast, putting Zweig Group's team of expert advisors straight talk in your ear. Zweig Group has more than three decades of experience elevating the design industry and helping engineers and architects thrive and grow in any market. These podcasts deliver great interviews with industry leaders and Zweig Group's invaluable research, strategic planning, leadership development, marketing, analytics, and HR advice directly to you, free of charge. The Zweig Letter Podcast lets you develop personally and professionally wherever you are. Hey, folks, and welcome to a special episode of the Zweig Letter Podcast. I am your host, Randy Wilburn. I am back today, and I have an, an excellent guest with me. His name is Bill McConnell. Bill is the CEO of Vertex, and Vertex is a very, very successful design firm based out of Weymouth, Mass. They've got multiple offices around the country. They are growing by leaps and bounds. And Bill has a really interesting story to tell. So without further ado, I, I really just want to welcome to the podcast, Bill McConnell. Bill, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Excited to be here. Oh, absolutely. Well, listen, I, I, I want to jump right into it because you, you have, um, we've, the Zwei Group has had a chance to interview you on a number of occasions. Um, I believe Richard Massey interviewed you for uh, C plus S, which is the civil plus structural magazine. And uh, he did a, a really cool article on you there uh, in C plus S. And then uh, you guys have had a chance to talk. You actually did a video with him as well. And the title of the article that uh, Richard wrote was uh, education has no finish line, which I thought was interesting and actually very appropriate as I did my research on you. And, and um, you've got some pretty lofty goals in front of you with Vertex and not just with Vertex, but with yourself as well. But why don't you tell our audience just a little bit more about who Vertex is and, and more importantly, who is Bill McConnell? Sure. Well, I'll start with Vertex. Um, Vertex has been in business for nearly uh, 25 years. Our, our anniversary is, is next February. Uh, we incorporated in 95. Um, we're a traditional AEC firm with a twist because we have a decent-sized forensic practice as well. So we offer traditional design and construction services uh, along with um, forensic our forensic practice um, that's substantial as well. So we have approximately 500 employees and 25 plus offices uh, domestically. 
uh, or I should say in North America. Um, we are headquartered in Weymouth. Uh, that's where the company was founded in Massachusetts. Um, I think when we founded the company, I was already living in New York. So right out of the gate, we um, sought to expand and we did so immediately into, uh, into New York City. And then <clears throat> I was popping around the country, opening up offices. And um, I don't know how much detail you want me to get into, but uh, we've had uh, quite a journey over the last 25 years. Uh, myself, I grew up in Boston. I went to my undergraduate degree was at the University of Maine, which I graduated there in 92 with a uh, civil engineering degree. Um, I then really dedicated uh, shortly after working for uh, a large general contractor, uh, a top 20 GC in the country. For a couple of years, um, we started Vertex, and um, I've been there ever since. Um, I started going back to school in the late 90s. I went to a, a three-year program at MIT. Um, <clears throat> then I went to um, law school and then went back and got my master's uh, at Columbia University in civil engineering, um, and then I'm finalizing my PhD right now in in civil engineering and construction management as well. Wow. Yeah. My, my head is spinning when I think about all those different degrees after your name. Um, I mean, I certainly applaud you because um, you really do practice what you preach when you, when you say that, um, that it, education is a lifelong pursuit. Um, what, yes. what, what ultimately for you just drove you? I mean, did, did you come from a family of academics or was it just something that just, just pushed you towards this, this goal? No, my, uh, uh, I was the second one in our family to attend college, my first being my sister, who is a year older. Um, but I uh, listed up about 20 or 30 goals when I was uh, 18 or so, 18 to 20. And I've been um, ticking them off over, my, uh, over the last 30 years or so. And um, one of them was um, to get a law degree. Um, so that was on the, the goal sheet, and um, it really, in construction, a law degree is more or less an MBA, um, construction, basically AEC services because of the contract agreements and disputes and um, dispute resolution, et cetera. It's, it's very helpful um, to have that type of legal background. Um, in addition to that, I kind of, along the way, I just... Um, I spent maybe the first five or six years after Vertex working 80 plus hours a week, trying to get the company up and running. Um, and then it, it dawned on me that really the um, only long-term strategy to improving quality and improving Vertex as a whole is education. You can say that for, you can elevate that and say that for any country as well. Um, the foundation of greatness is, is continuing education so I wanted to um, kind of set an example uh, for that at Vertex, and we've formalized that over the last couple of years. Um, so that's kind of where the evolution was was many years ago. 
Wow. I, I actually absolutely love that because it's, it's kind of right in line with, with my thinking and um, the way that I kind of, I try to do things, which is just to continuously improve, to continuously learn new things. I was struck by a statistic that I read several years ago when the Pew Research did, well, Pew, the Pew Center did research on the reading habits. Um, and one, one statistic really stood out to me was that the average college graduate does not pick up a book. 59% of college graduates do not pick up a book after they graduate from college again, which I, I found wow. that to be astounding. And, you know, I, I kind of see some, some semblance of that when, when I look at the dialogue, not just in this country, but in a lot of places. And, and I, I recognize the importance to never um, get comfortable in your knowledge base, but always look for ways to improve upon not just your situation, but improve upon your awareness of information and what's going on around you. And, and certainly you have not, uh, you've not allowed any grass to grow into your feet in that area at all. And I guess my simple question would be, how, how have you taken your desire to do that? This bucket list, if you will, of achievements and goals that you've laid out for yourself, how have you translated that to the employees of Vertex, to, to your, your colleagues, if you will, that, that work alongside of you? Yes. Um, well, we're trying to really give career paths for everyone who works for Vertex that are 10 to 20 to 30 years in length. And, <clears throat> you know, in engineering, um, there's so much that goes into technical training. So what I mean by that is um, you take 120 credit hours of pure uh, hydraulics and structures and um, all of these other technical classes, regardless of which discipline. And you, you come out of college and you, you're a great technician um, and you're well-trained um, to get a job. However, advancement in the AC industry comes a lot through writing and presenting and uh, teamwork and um, none of that is really incorporated into undergraduate programs in engineering. <clears throat> so when you're looking to advance, you need to embrace those. You need to embrace business development. You need to embrace uh, meeting and talking and, and writing effectively. And um, we're really pushing that as, hey, you're a great technician. You're coming in as a project engineer, but we need to get you trained up on some of these soft skills and we have a, a 10 or 20 year plan for you because when you're, when you're 10 years in, you want to, you want to be a, a manager um, and you want to have uh, eventually be a vice president and a managing director. And then if you'd like uh, be an expert in your field and in order to do that, you do require those soft skills, which are equally as important to technical skills. Um, so that roadmap that we provide our folks um, really lays that out in bite-sized pieces because it's not overly daunting where you have to take um, you have to take 120 credit hours to get your undergraduate degree and then you got to take another uh, if you go to law school 90 credit hours and then 60 credit hours for a master and then another 30 to get a PhD um, and we try to work that over time so you can really focus on um, one class at a time. And in addition to that, uh, with online learning, the reach of education is limitless at this point. And despite the fact that you're traveling a lot for your job, um, 
uh, or you're, let's say, live in a remote area, you have access to great education at this point um, in training as well. So we want to exploit that and we want to take advantage of that technology. And we've partnered with some great schools in order to uh, make that happen. And um, we're, you know, we're, we're very excited about our partnership with the University of Colorado and um, it's becoming reality for us. Oh, I love that. I really like that. I was just sitting here as you were talking and I was saying, you know, people, you should start passing a t-shirt around at Vertex that says, if Bill can do it, so can I. And, <laughs> and just just encourage people that because sometimes I think that's what people need, right? They need encouragement that it can actually be done. And it's not, you know, it's it's, it's when you hear it, when, when people talk about, oh, these are my goals. And sometimes they sound really lofty and, and unattainable. It's it, all you need is one example of somebody that's able to achieve those goals. And then it's like everybody's off to the races. So I think you've yeah. become that example for Vertex. And, and I certainly applaud you uh, for what you're doing. Because one of the things that I've, I have encouraged firms in, in my 20 plus years of being involved in the design industry is that you have to engage your people early and often and create opportunities for growth and learning in order to have a successful workforce. And more importantly, it's the buzzword that we always talk about now, in order to retain people and keep them coming back for more, you've got to give them something to work with. Yeah, in the, uh, and really there's a lot of firms out there that have kind of internal universities and we have a Vertex U, um, but we wanna, and it's great training on various subjects and um, maybe more, uh, directly applicable to day-to-day report writing and um, investigations and structural design, et cetera. But the training, we, we want to kind of do both. We want to give them the, that direct training, but we also want to push for um, training that people, let's say, we, we want it to improve retention, which it does, but let's say uh, people do and they, they will leave Vertex we want them to leave with a master's degree, something that they can take with them, yeah. um, not just a nano degree from Vertex U. Um, and we think that's of great value, um, and we want to be valuable throughout everyone's career path. We want to add that value, so I, we think that's equally important. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I love, I love that. Now, to, can you talk a little bit about what what has it taken? And what have you, what has allowed you guys for the level of success that you've experienced? And I think it's something along the lines of year over year, you guys have had a 30% increase in gross revenue since you incorporated in 1995. And I've actually run across a few other well-run design firms that have had that type of sustained growth. But what does that mean for Vertex? Why, Why have you guys been so successful in that area? And I never want to make it about money, right? Because every right. every design firm is out there to make money. And I mean, we, we, we live in an age of capitalism and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I just, I just find that when you see that for a long duration of time, that sustained growth and um, achievement financially, it's huge. And I'm just curious to, you know, what's your secret? Well, we fear stagnancy and we fear the reverse pyramid. Um, where a company ages and all of a sudden there's more executive managers than there are uh, folks working under the executive team. And because that erodes margin um, and 
that promotes complacency. And, and really for us, um, it goes well beyond money. It is something that we um, decided with Jim O'Brien and Jeff Picard. And I always quote Jim O'Brien. Um, and he heard this from one of his pre previous managers, uh, that if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. And, and we completely embrace that. Um, we think that if we're not growing, we're not giving our, our younger uh, generation that works for Vertex uh, the opportunity that they need um, to grow and flourish as time moves on. And in order to be sustainable, we feel that there needs to be a growth pattern. Now, 20 to 30 percent, and we are uh, virtually uh, almost at 30 percent year over year since 95. That is a little, uh, that's very, that, that's high sustainable growth. Um, but I think that is attributable to just a, a, a pure commitment and dedication to avoiding that reverse pyramid and avoiding um, complacency and pushing for opportunity for our employee owners. Um, and with that becomes, um, you know, we're, we're right now, we're a decent sized firm with 500 folks, um, but we're not a mega company. We're not one of the $18 billion design firms. Um, but we are 25 years old. We're not young, but when you look at the, the, the 18 firms that uh, posted rev of um, north of a billion dollars, um, the average age of those firms is 93 years. <laughs> so um, there are two other firms, TRC, which is a great firm out of uh, Wayne, or Lowell, Mass., I believe, mm -hmm. and then Golder, great shop out of Florida. Um, they're probably going to surpass the uh, billion-dollar threshold in 2020, um, and they are um, 50 and 60 years old, respectively. Um, so it does take time to get there, uh, but we don't want to wait another 50 years to get there. We, we want to be in a path where we can, we can make that mark by 2030, um, which puts us at... Um, uh, I guess, uh, 35 years uh, or 40 years of age. Um, so it's uh, in order for us to do that, we're going to have to double uh, and then double again and then double a third time. So we've got our work cut out for us. But if we maintain this rule, we call it a rule of 20 plan. It's a uh, minimum of 20% growth year over year, every year. And um, I formulated a plan in 2012 uh, for a 10-year plan for this rule of 20, which uh, we mature at 2022. So it's rule of 20 by 2022 gets us there and gets us to be uh, uh, a long way towards that goal. Um, and it's, it's about um, not only writing it down and applying it, but it's looking at it on a daily basis and really embracing it and fearing complacency. Okay. Well, man, I, you got me. I'm up here doing my math here. I mean, so basically you want to be about 4,000 people by the time you hit 2030 and to, to get to that, that um, billion dollar mark. Does that sound about right? Yes, it does. Okay. Yes. All right. Yeah, that's fine. So, And that's good. what TRC has about 4,000. Um, that's the average billion dollar AC firm has. Uh, when they hit that threshold, they're in the 3,000 or 4,000. Uh, employee mark. And, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's, 
when you look at those 18 firms, two-thirds of them are public and a third of them are uh, employee-owned. The average age of the employee-owned billion-dollar companies is, is 100 years old. Um, <clears throat> so it does take time. Um, but you know, the one thing we're seeing with, with TRC is that they are uh, PE-backed. So there is, and they'll be the first billion-dollar private equity-backed firm um, that, that eclipses this threshold. So it's, uh, it's interesting to see times are changing. PE money has now been introduced into our space, which wasn't the case 20 years ago. Um, so there's more ways uh, to get there. And there's, there's MOE strategies you could implement uh, to get there as well. Um, and we're not excluding any of those. We are employee-owned, which, which really has helped us take this initial leap from 2013 to 2020. Uh, and maintain our growth because, uh, as I said, a third of those companies uh, are ESOP. Uh, Bechtel is is privately owned, but they do have some uh, uh, stock programs that they provide their employees. Um, but uh, even getting there is, is, is in mapping that out. Um, and and we've been self financing our growth to date, um, but making these additional leaps is is going to be a, it's going to be a challenge, but it's a welcome challenge, and we embrace it. So, when you guys became an ESOP, I, I want to say maybe I think Lisa uh, told me it was back in 2013 when you became an ESOP. Um, how, how well received was it by your company, and, and did you run into challenges when you when you decided to go that route, or was everybody kind of all in? Once you presented we, it to them, yeah, we we had at that time we had um, several strategic buyers interested in Vertex, um, and we wanted to figure out a program that would allow us to grow. We uh, we're really focused on um, kind of leading the charge. We think we have a really good strategy in place, so we want to be the buyer, not the buy, uh, not be bought. So we felt that the next logical step was going. Um, to an ESOP, and um, the company welcomed it with open arms. It's um, great for employee re uh, morale retention. It is a differentiator. Um, while there are uh, employee-owned, a lot of employee-owned firms in this space, um, it still is a good differentiator when compared to other forms of ownership. Um, so it's been it's been great, and I attribute a lot of our uh, success over the past six years towards that uh, transition. And, and let me ask you this, the, was the forensic piece, was that always a part of Vertex or was that something that you introduced later on once you guys got started? No, it was, claims work was, was always a part. We, in 1995, we were doing claims work. Um, in terms of maturing that into a variety of different claim services, um, with the various insurance products and um, with the construction defect revolution, that market um, really grew up in the early 2000s and matured, uh, where we typically performed uh, work on behalf uh, or at the defense of designers and constructors and developers. Um, that market came about um, in the, it was there beforehand, but it really matured in the 2000s. So we made a concerted effort to um, separate a forensic vertical, which houses all of our claims-related work. 
does and that that separate vertical for forensic does that also is it is it so separate that some of the people that work on the design side of things don't get to dabble in this area or learn more about it or is it are you trying to create more of a a, a well-rounded employee of the future that's able to do a number of different things the the latter is certainly the case um but it but it we're just trying to promote that over the last couple of years where um, we want people to explore and learn in both design and forensics and construction and forensics. Um, so a lot of our design folks have shifted, whether it be for six months or for a longer tenure uh, from design to forensics. And that's kind of the natural transition. Um, it, while it's, it's a great learning experience, it, it teaches you uh, what to look for, what to look out for, what are the problem areas, whether it be uh, balconies or flashings or uh, which code provisions are important to know if you're a civil engineer, um, for instance, around the perimeter of buildings and certain other areas and compaction requirements and what IBC parameters are typically cited in, um, uh, in plaintiff cause of actions. Um, so it's, it's great to get that cross-training, and we're just now really formalizing that. Um, prior to this, uh, and this is still the case, is, um, again, we want designers to ultimately morph into experts um, so, we can, uh, so we're not overly top-heavy. And we mitigate that top-heaviness because as experts, you can warrant higher billability or billing rates. Um, so you're still making a reasonable margin on senior staff. Um, so it's, uh, it's a little bit of both, but your point about cross-training, uh, we take to heart uh, and we're really trying to formalize that at this point. Okay. Yeah. I, um, that, that, and that brings up a couple of other questions that I have about this. Cause I, I'm just curious as you continue to develop, especially in this area, um, are you, what, what advice would you have for the younger engineer coming out of school that's looking at a vertex or, or a company like yours to get into this, into this area of understanding and learning, what advice would you give them? Almost the same advice that you might give yourself 25 years ago when you were coming out of school in terms of preparation and, and understanding that, that, that the design industry is changing, design firms are changing, and that the old guard of the way design firms used to do things is slowly going away. And, and now you're having more firms like Vertexes that are popping up that are, that are, that are multidimensional in their approach to learning their craft and growing and not being stuck in any one area. What advice, and I know this is a, a long question, yeah. but, but what advice would you give that young person that's going to be graduating next year or the year after that um, as they come out into the workforce and, and are looking at firms like a Vertex to, to potentially land at? Well, I think it's important to, to take a macro view of the industry and, and your career path uh, from time to time. Um, and not just keep your head down, get stuck in the weeds, and before you know it, you're, you're 15 years deep into a, a career path. Um, I think, have, and, and, and that's really what we're trying to push is, hey, let's, let's take a, not a five-year view or even a two- or three-year view. Let's take a 20- or 
30-year snapshot of what your career can look like and what a career path could look like, um, particularly with uh, sustainable growth. Um, and let's map that out in terms of credentials and degrees um, that should be tagged on and uh, what type of soft skills are required as you move uh, up an organizational chart. Um, and then importantly, what you said, um, there will be displacement um, through AI and IoT and uh, the world is changing and, and you need to be ahead of the curve in terms of technology. Um, so you need to keep an eye on that as well. You don't want to be displayed. You don't want to be in an industry where you're going to be displaced uh, and then you're going to have to relearn something drastic. Um, so it's it's really we're at a tipping point right now for the last hundred years it's taken the same amount of time to design and build buildings um same amount of uh manpower um and so it's the efficiencies there's been really no efficiency improvement uh in our industry uh for decades and decades but now we're at a point um where you have uh, sub-consultants working with architects uh, all on the same platform. Um, you're seeing uh, panelization, you're seeing uh, drones come in and eventually there'll be interior drones that are doing quality control and uh, you've got drones um, uh, basically talking to scrapers, doing uh, earthwork. Um, so the industry is now going to become more efficient in the very short order. It's happening now with the site work um, in transportation engineering. It's going to convert over to building construction and building design as well. Um, so now more than ever, it's, it's important to take that macro view, not only of a career path, where you want to be, what you're interested in, but how can you uh, get on the right side of the curve in terms of tech uh, and digital solutions so you can increase your opportunities, not decrease them. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if you are a big fan of Ray Kurzweil, but he talks about that singularity event that's going to happen at some point in time in the very near future, maybe even by the year 2030, I think is the original date that he put out there about computers coming to a level of intelligence and sophistication that there, there won't be any turning back in terms of what they're capable of. And with the growth of nanocomputing and with the, just the growth of these big computers that can process information so fast, um, I think, I think at, at some point in time in the very, very near, near future, certainly before both you and I retire, we're going to see some of that 100-year um, of, of design work and, and what we've not seen change in that period yeah. of time change very quickly. I think you're right. And I think um, I was, when I graduated from Columbia, um, a gentleman named Dr. Kaifu Lee was the graduation speaker. And I'd never been more cap, uh, captured by a, uh, a speech before. And, and subsequently he's been on 60 Minutes and he's called the father of AI. Um, and what he said, uh, he's thinking that's a, the exact same time frame, the 2025 to 2030 time frame. There's going to be a lot of disruption, um, and you want to be on the right side of that disruption um, because there is massive opportunity there. But if you're on the, the left side of the curve, 
um, you can be displaced very quickly with machine learning. And, um, and I think it's, ha it's not if, it's will and when. Um, and I think that, that tipping point has already arrived. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I, uh, I kind of feel that way too. Although I do think that there are certain skill sets that if you practice them now and 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 work to develop them, that they will they will pay off dividends in the long run. Skill sets like um, is certainly becoming an excellent communicator, uh, being a great relationship builder. Um, these things all impact how we do business on a regular basis. So even the young people coming into your firm or any firm that's like a vertex, if they start to develop develop those those some of those as we like to call them soft skills um, they will they will have tremendous influence over their careers in the long term I believe and when you when you kind of marry that to this whole this whole growth of AI and all the new opportunities that are going to happen on that side of things it's going to be quite a quite an interesting mix to say the least yeah I, I agree with you the social skills are going to become more and more important and the displacement's going to happen in white-collar and blue-collar jobs alike. Um, construction workers um, will start to be displaced, particularly on earthwork, on the earthwork front. But um, on the, on the white-collar jobs, it, it will be more of a, a social uh, – social skills will be very, very important um, because a lot of the computation – um, and engineering is going to be done through computing. Yeah. Now, I did have one other question for you that I wanted to ask, and, and it was, well, actually two a couple of questions. One is, um, I, I'm sure you have followed the, the issue of the Millennium Tower in San Francisco and, and the problems that, yeah. that exist there. And how, how does something like that, how is something like that avoided in the future? Uh, I mean, certainly you do that kind of forensic work where you kind of look backwards to figure out what happened. But when you look at that, and I, I don't, I, I don't know if I, we, I even asked Lisa whether or not you guys had any involvement in terms of determining what was actually going wrong with this building. But that must be fascinating for you to look at something like the Millennium Tower in San Francisco and, you know, try to figure out how how could that have been avoided in the first place. Right. That's that's by far the most extreme example of settlement. Uh, we're not involved in that, um, so I can't comment on it. And, um, but we, we are involved in a lot of settlement jobs where you look at geotechnical reports and foundation design and was the deep foundation warranted. And um, yeah, when you look back, it's, um, it's really a standard of care evaluation of um, was that foundation foundation system appropriate? Um, was it properly anchored into bedrock? Was it deep enough? Um, and uh, then you measure the construction of the foundation system and whether or not that was installed per design and per the contract documents. Um, so it's always fascinating when you do see uh, Colorado, um, where I reside, um, the front range is lined with betonite clay and that heaves. Uh, and it's funny, once you get into the mountain, uh, there's collapsing soils. Uh, so that's a big issue here in Colorado is foundation design um, and whether or not, based on the geotechnical conditions, whether or not it meets the requisite standard of care.
is typically the steps you walk through to figure out whether or not a designer was at fault. Now, are you finding that firms are bringing you in now even before they start to do something just to make sure that they are dotting their I's and crossing their T's? Or is that, is that, a, level of, um, is that a level of pre-work that may, may not necessarily be necessary? No, that's, it, it happens. Um, not a ton, but it happens as a proactive measure um, on the front end. Say, hey, what are, what are common issues that we run into? Let's try to uh, figure those out up front so we don't have to ne- deal with them downstream. Um, but uh, more so, it's simply we get called in post-dispute. Yeah. Okay. And, and just this whole area of forensics, which, which you guys uh, work in, is that going to be an area that if we do experience a dip in the economy or uh, a correction of sorts? Because I think I, I heard you mention, and, and we all are fully aware of this, we've been in a bull market now for, for a, a ridiculously long period of time. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, at some point that bull's going to run out of gas. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and, and take a break and, and take a breather in the shade for a while. And how, however long that is, I don't know. But I'm just curious as to, do you feel like you're, you guys, Vertex, are equipped to deal with that, that coming dip that we are going to experience in the market? And if so, what do you think is going to, to benefit you guys and what you do in the future? Yeah, I think one of our differentiators is that <clears throat> if – Really, the right thing to do when you when a bull shifts to a bear is <clears throat> is basically to right size the company. But for us, we generally transition a lot of our folks over to um, forensics. Okay, all right. So and that, I think that's that's an important strategy for us is to have a home for our people, employee owners. That when there is a dip we can shuffle them and keep them working um, in a non-cyclical field, which would be forensics. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I mean, that's great for you guys. Obviously, a lot of firms don't have that fallback, <laughs> you know, that's available to them. So that's uh, right. I, I certainly applaud you guys for thinking like that. But that's also another way that you get to that um, – you know, that, that billion dollars, uh, you know, in the next 10 years or so is, is, yeah. is being diversified and being able to meet the needs, uh, a variety of needs that are going to exist out there in the design space. So, right. And when you look at the, this, this has been an unusual bull run, not only because of its length, but we haven't had massive growth year over year growth, um, in put in place work. So, it's been a slow growth, and one of the reasons why it's lasted so long is because we didn't have hyperinflation, and in fact, there was kind of like mini recessions through this 10-and-a-half-year period, where in 2015, we had growth of virtually 0%. Right. Um, in 2011, it was really slow. In 2016, um, we had that devastating Q4. Um so it, it's been, uh, you know, last December was a big dip. Um, and I, when, when we get caught off, a lot of folks, including us, get caught off guard there, like last December. Um, and we, uh, 
we're able to, to make those shifts, which is luxury. And that is, like you said, uh, in order to continue the growth and not kind of take a step back, um, it is nice to have this vertical where we can house folks, where they can do great forensic work um, during a, a bear market or a recessionary cycle. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, um, that makes perfect sense. I think that, um, that Vertex is definitely on the right path in terms of the way that you're, you're putting this together. And, and I, I liken this as you were sharing earlier about your pursuit and goals to grow. You know, I thought about another firm that I used to be involved with. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with them, Carter and Burgess, but, um, oh, sure. yeah. So, great so I, yeah, I used to work with Jerry Allen, the great Jerry Allen and uh, he's yep. a very dear friend of Mark's wives, but, um, and Mark used to actually work for Jerry, but I can remember when Carter and Burgess was like, 300 people and then overnight yeah. i mean they literally blossomed or, or bloomed into 200 uh, 2500 people and they continued to grow until they ultimately got acquired by jacobs and and you know that kind of growth can happen and certainly when you have a plan and he had a plan I and mean, he was the kind of guy and mark would always famously tell the story that he would mark would tell him about a potential acquisition he he would pack up his bags and literally get on a plane that day and go out and visit the firm. And then within 24, 48 hours, he'd call Mark back and say, well, we got a deal. And Mark was like, wait, are you kidding me? It's that it's done that fast. Um, are, are, are you, do you feel like as, as opportunities present themselves to you that you can, you have enough data and you can act with that type of confidence um, to, 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 yeah. to identify firms that are not only going to be a good fit financially, but, but I think even more important than the financial piece of it is culturally. Cause that, right. that is the, that's the difference maker with when, when you get into the discussion of M and a it's culturally, can this firm mesh with who we are? Yeah. And we're in a late cycle, as you know, it, the latest of any cycle, um, and unemployment is still at, I think the latest numbers were 3.8 or 3.7%. So growing organically is very difficult uh, these days for AC firms. Um, in fact, I think um, maybe at one of your conferences, it was noted that organic growth is almost flat industry-wide and um, much of the growth is coming through M&A and what that's that's um, so it's a seller's market for sure and valuations are creeping up and um, and really as you know we're kind of a middle size but the larger firms the Jacobs of the world they really are uber focused on M&A in order to continue to grow their revenue and EBIT um, so it's extremely important. Uh, we're finding it just over the last, I'm going to say six months, if you don't act quickly on deals, they go away uh, very quickly because there's so many potential buyers. Um, so you really need a SWAT team in order to figure out cultural fit um, as well as dig deep into a, adjusted EBIT numbers and um, and really looking at the financials and seeing what what a, a fair EBIT figure is that you can uh, apply a reasonable multiple to. Um, so yeah, in terms of cultural fit, we, we try to get 
um, potential acquisition companies up uh, to meet me and to meet others from our executive team and um, to see if we have similar values um, because that's probably more important than anything. Um, and But you have to act fast and you have to have the, the infrastructure and availability to make those moves just like Carter and Burgess did back in the day. Um, and you have to really have the ability to sole source deals in addition to, um, you know, working with great companies like yours to um, get deals that fit as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I, and that's, that's perfectly put. And, and while I know that Zwei can certainly help you guys out or anybody out in that area, I think it's incumbent upon the firms themselves because you, you, better than anybody else know or have a good idea of what's going to work and what isn't going to work. And you need to constantly, just like you need to be constantly looking out for great talent to join your firm, you need to be constantly looking out for great firms to, to, to become a part of what you're doing. If that is, that is the, your overall strategy of growth or one of the aspects of the strategy of growth that you're trying to uh, achieve. So you always have to be out there looking for the best and the brightest that, that yep. will fit into what you're trying to do. That's right. It's, it's one of those um, areas that um, may have been overlooked in the past and more of an organic focus. Um, but when you have sustained unemployment at less, you know, full employment is considered 5%. When you're down south of four points, um, it's really critical um, to have all of those bases covered if you are going to um, yeah, have a plan for sustained growth. Yeah, I love that. That's great. Well, I, I um, you said that your father gave you some really simple and straightforward advice. And, and that advice was simply that success comes to those that work hard and work in the right direction. And um, Bill, it, it certainly appears that you and your amazing team there at Vertex are doing that. Um, I wanted to just get a couple of final words from you just to kind of find out what is someone that has just about read everything and has every degree known to man. What, what's, what's the latest, greatest book that you've read that has moved you? Oh boy. Um, yeah. I haven't had, uh, 1776. I just finished. I thought that was, I thought that a McCullough book, I thought that was just amazing how that all came down (laughs) and and that the United States actually became the United States was like a miracle. Um, and Bitcoin billionaires was, was interesting. Mm -hmm. Bad blood I thought was, you know, a good lesson on what not to do when running a company. Um, uh, I've read a couple of Tim Ferriss's book, books of late. Um, and, um, I read a book on, um, and I was never a fan, but I read a book called the Beatles. Um, and I don't even know why I picked this book up, but it was an amazing story. Um, on work ethic, um, where when the Beatles were in Liverpool and they were an okay band and then they went to Hamburg, Germany for a year or two and they played for 10 hours a day, seven days a week and they became a great band. Um, and, and just the, uh, uh, they created their own luck by virtue of their work ethic. Um, 
And I thought that was a, was a great, amazing story. That was probably the, the one book that I really couldn't put down. Uh, the other ones were good, but um, that one was, was kind of a game changer. Oh man, I, I have, I'm going to have to pick that up now. You're, you're really, uh, I, I just, I can't put a book down. So that will be next on my list for sure. Um, I yeah. will, I will just add two for you to, cause I know you travel a lot and you're on one, one plane to the next, but um, I don't know if you've read Leadership in Turbulent Times by Doris Kearns Goodwin. It's an amazing no. book. Ha- highly recommend it. And the other book is Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Shoe Dog and- was well, you couldn't put it down. It was yeah. spectacular. <laughs> I, like, I, I mean, I, I mean it, it was really great. It was such a good book. And, and uh, I, I have, I have a, a different uh, – I look at Phil Knight differently. After reading oh. that, I just – I totally look at him differently. And, uh, I mean, you know, he, he was the embodiment of persistence as well. So I think it's important. And that's a theme that has kind of interweaved in this conversation about what you guys are trying to achieve and accomplish here at Vertex. So – Man, I can't thank you enough for for spending some time with us on this uh, special edition of the Zweig Letter Podcast and just kind of bearing your soul a little bit about yourself and about Vertex and and where you guys are headed. And I got to say, anybody listening to this podcast, if you haven't heard who Vertex is, because I get it, there's a lot of firms out there, you need to look them up. If if anybody wants to to reach out to you or check you out, what's the best uh, way for them to reach you? Um. Well, the the website is vertexeng.com, um, and I, I reside in our Denver office, um, and those numbers, uh, 303-623-9116, um, and Randy, it's been a real pr- uh, pleasure, and, and, and thanks for, for uh, uh, having me on. Oh, no, absolutely. The pleasure was all mine, Bill. Thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, having you here. Okay. Thank you. Well, folks, there you have it. Another episode of the Zweig Letter Podcast special edition with Vertex and with the CEO of Vertex, Bill McConnell. A lot of great information here. I I hope you benefited from what uh, Bill had to share over this last, it's been almost an hour now. And um, really, some. I I just took three pages worth of notes here. So uh, I don't know about you, but um, I'm definitely going to uh, share this information and we'll make sure that we get you the show notes for this particular episode of the podcast and uh, share with you even a transcript that we'll put together because I think you'll want to read into exactly what Bill's talking about. Um, he, he is a man on a mission and he's going to get to 2030, I believe, and, and make that $1 billion mark or more. So I'm sure he's sitting there like, yeah, I hope so. But I, I kind of believe that that's going to happen. He's called it out and um, he's got a great team behind him. And as you, of course, you know, every leader can't be a great leader without great people behind them. And he's got that support. So we wish nothing but continued success. And uh, we're thankful that they, they brought us in to be a part of what they're doing. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this special edition of the Zweig Letter Podcast. Uh, it's always good to get on the mic and talk to my Zweig Group family. So I really appreciate each and every one of you. And we look forward to coming back with another special episode very soon. We'll see you later. If you want more wisdom and inspiration, in addition to information about M&A, strategic planning, HR, and marketing your firm, subscribe to the digital version of The Zweig Letter free of charge. Just visit thezweigletter.com forward slash subscribe and leave your email address. Your free subscription will begin immediately. Immediately.
Thanks for tuning in to this special edition of the Zweig Letter Podcast. <laughs>